Welcome to Puritans Read, reading aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode five of The Wiles of Satan. So it is with the mind. The more it is scattered and divided through multiplicity of objects, the more weak it is and the more it is fixed on one single object, the more masculine and strong are the operations of it, either for good or for evil. Therefore, David, who desired to excel in holiness, made it his prayer in Psalm 86.11 that God would unite his heart to fear his name. Jerome reads it, Make my heart one, that is. Incline it only to thy fear. Implying thereby that Divided interests in the heart both distract and weaken it. When the scripture likewise would set forth the awful deprivation of man's estate, it says that every imagination of his heart was only evil, continually. Genesis 6.5 There is not the least contrary principle to check or to restrain those ebullitions of lust which flow and ascend from the heart as water from a fountain or sparks from a furnace. Now thus it is with Satan. He is wholly bent to evil and makes it his only study to dive and search into men so that he may better fasten his temptations upon them. It is the question which God puts to him in Job 1.8. Hast thou considered my servant Job? Or as the Septuagint renders it, Hast thou attended with thy mind my servant Job? What is implied is that his practice and end is in going to and fro in the earth. He does not travel it as a pilgrim, but as a spy who closely observes every person and thing as he passes along. He does not go forward a step without noting every man's estate, temper, age, calling, and company, so that he may, with greater advantage, tempt to evil, and thereby bring men into the same misery and condemnation as himself. And indeed, whosoever duly weighs the perfect antipathy that is in Satan unto both God and holiness can hardly conceive in what other thing he should exercise himself than to tempt and solicit men to sin. For such is the greatness of his malice that as the schoolmen determine, it cannot admit any farther degree of augmentation. His will is immovably fixed to evil as its ultimate end. Therefore, his malice and hatred must dispose him to do such evils as may bear a proportion to the greatness of them. And wherein can it, in a higher way, reveal itself than in designing and effecting the ruin of the souls of men by pernicious counsels and deeds.
devices. If there is any one thing in which so discontented a person as Satan is can take delight, it is in his trade of seduction and destruction in making others as irrecoverably lost and miserable as he himself is. As tempting and ensnaring men is his only business, so his diligence in it is matchless. He was going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it in Job's time. Job 1.7 In Peter's time, he was a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5.8 The beasts of the earth hunt their prey, yet when the sun rises and man goes forth to labor, they gather themselves together and lay down in their dens. Psalm 104.22 But this infernal lion is restless in his motions and compasses the earth with as much unweariness as the sun does the heavens. It is true he tempts others to idleness, but he himself is never idle. The fowler is desirous that the flying bird would light upon the perch ground or perch upon some tree. And when it does, so it better becomes his mark. So the devil does what he can to lull others asleep in idleness and sloth, but he then does not cease to shoot his darts and spread his snares. When Samson was asleep on Delilah's knees, she caused his locks to be cut off, Judges 16.19, and wrought all that mischief upon him that did not terminate in the loss of his eyes, but in the loss of his life. While the servants slept, the enemy came and sowed his tares. Matthew thirteen twenty five. Oh, how well would it go with Christians if the diligence of their adversary would provoke them to watchfulness and kindle in them a holy industry unto all good, so that they might prove themselves to be God's soldiers to fight against all evil and God's workmen and servants to do all good. Surely their complaints would be fewer and their comforts would be greater. But alas, what a sad complaint I now take up. And while I speak of the diligence of the evil one, I mourn. over the security and negligence of most professing Christians, among whom a waking eye and a working hand are as rare to be found as a sword and a spear among all the people of Israel. 1 Samuel 13.22 How few are there who have taken the alarm, though they are called upon to stand watch against temptations, How hard it is to persuade men that to walk circumspectly is a duty or that to be diligent in their callings is one of the best antidotes to preserve the soul from the putrefaction of lusts and to fence it against the incursions 
of an assiduous tempter. It is a common proverb that the lion is not as fierce as he is painted, and it is a received opinion that the devil is not so hurtful an enemy as he is represented to be. It is no wonder, then, if his designs are so successful and his triumphs many, when the greatest part of men are in no way anxious to proportion their care and watchfulness to either the greatness of their own danger or their adversary's diligence. Demonstration 4. A fourth demonstration, which may discover the power of Satan to tempt, is taken from both the number of the evil spirits and the unity of their counsels, which meet all in one common center of an irreconcilable hatred to God's glory and man's happiness. First, their numbers are great, which renders their power as well as their counsels exceedingly dreadful. Weak things, which when few are contemptible, when seconded with multitude become irresistible, caterpillars, frogs, locusts, and flies, by the excess of their number, made the proud heart of Pharaoh to stoop, who could not free himself or his kingdom from such impotent adversaries. The whale, of which God said that upon the earth there is not his equal, he is a king over all the children of pride, Job 41, 34. Of all creatures in the sea or on the land that pride themselves in their might and strength, he is the chief. And yet Pliny said that the herrings, by their vast numbers, oppress and destroy sometimes the biggest whales. How dreadful then must that opposition be that arises from such creatures that are in their nature powerful and for their numbers past finding out. The schoolmen who would seem to be expert Benjamites who hit at a hair's breadth every mark at which they aim and do not miss speak as confidently of the number of good and evil angels as if they had looked into the muster roll of both the heavenly host and the infernal legions. And yet their assertions have as little agreement with each other as the testimonies of the false witnesses concerning Christ. No two of them speak the same thing. Aquinas conceived the number of them in their creation to exceed incomparably all material substances. And his reason, as Estius sets it down, is because the more perfect any beings are in their nature, the greater is their excess, either of magnitude, if they are corporeal, or of number, if they be non-corporeal. As for the heavenly bodies, which are most perfect, wonderfully surpass all inferior bodies in quantity, so do the spiritual angels in number. Now of these vast numbers, say some, the one half became apostates. Others, from a mistaken interpretation of Revelation 12.4, where the dragon draws a third part of the stars of heaven after him, 
have fondly concluded that a third part of them fell when it plainly speaks of a defection in the church. Others have made the number of fallen angels equal to the number of the elect who shall be saved, who are to supply the breach that was by their defection. But what light or evidence do any of these positions carry in them that may gain the understanding of sober men to a belief of them? Are they not niceties that are as unfit to build upon as the dreams of sick men? It is enough that the scripture, though it does not acquaint us with the certain number of good or evil angels, that of the one it tells us that there are thousand thousands that minister unto God, and ten thousand times ten thousand that stand before him. Daniel 7.10 There is an innumerable company of angels. Hebrews 12.22 And scripture represents to us the evil angels by a kingdom, which implies multitudes, and by a prince, whose greatness lies to the extent of his condition and the number of his subjects. Surely we need no hermit's visions to inform us that the air is full of malignant spirits and the earth of their snares to entrap the inhabitants of it. Paul points out to us their number as well as their power when he says that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6.12 Oh, what a troublesome passage must every Christian expect in his way to heaven, who is to conflict with armies of these infernal anakims. How necessary is it that he put on the armor of God for protection and fight in the strength of God to obtain a victory. For in his own might, no man can prevail. If Elijah, a prophet of heroic spirit, complained of his being left alone to contest with the priests of Baal and the idolaters of Israel so as to grow weary of his life, how apt will the best of men be to faint and sink in the long and sharp conflicts that must be undergone with the combined forces and powers of darkness, if not aided and supported by the strength of Christ. If, therefore, we would be successful combatants in this spiritual warfare, we must do as David did, who prepared to encounter Goliath by disarming himself of his warlike habiliments and going forth only in the name of the Lord of hosts, we must put off all carnal confidence, which will be as useless to us as Saul's armor was to David, and be strong only in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is what will both animate us in the fight and give us an assured victory in the issue. That was episode five of The Wiles of Satan.